You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. Going to uh, we're going to continue ministering. I'm, this is going to be the last week. I'm going to talk about levels of faith. And if you haven't uh, heard any of these or the teachings, Liz and I have been doing it together. But the last one I'm just going to do by myself. You can go back and listen and watch all of that. I can't go into all the details. But basically, the Lord began to speak to me. Actually, gave me this just in prayer one day, talking to me about levels of faith. And um, you know, I think a better way you could say it possibly than levels would be just different manifestations of faith might be another way that you could say it. And so it's not necessarily that you're trying to climb up some ladder to be in a higher form of faith, but it's just looking at where you are in terms of trusting the Lord in whatever area that you're trusting him in in your life, which should be every area, but maybe there's specific things that you're believing God for, which is what faith people do. Amen. And aren't we people of faith? You know, you can't be born again without being a person of faith. I want to say something here before I get into this, and this was really strong on my heart this morning. You need to protect the word that God has spoken to you. You need to protect the word of the Lord that has come alive inside of your heart. And don't let naysayers, don't let people that don't have a cotton-picking clue what they're talking about, talk you out of what God has spoken rightly to your heart. And the message of faith is not, it's not, it's not a cult. You know, I didn't just go and listen to some people talk about faith and they go, you know, I think I'm going to join them. No, I, I got in the word and I read and the Lord opened up my eyes and I realized that if he has provided something for me, then I can believe him for it. And that's called faith. And I can receive what the Lord has told me. That's not wrong. That's a right thing. That's a good thing. That's a Bible thing. It's a biblical thing. It's a Jesus thing. It's a Moses thing. It's an Abraham thing. It's a God thing. It says that the worlds were framed, that God spoke the the earth into existence, but it was through faith that he spoke the world into existence. God is a God of faith. And the reason I'm, I'm just saying this like I am for the moment is that this gets attacked and I don't. You know, I don't, you don't need to defend me. And when people say stupid stuff, and that's exactly what it is, I'm going to go ahead and say the S word today. When they say stupid stuff, you don't have to defend me, but you need to guard your heart against the nonsense. Living in faith and by faith when, with an expectation of God, of God uh, manifesting or you coming into agreement and manifesting greater levels of God's glory and provision and health and finances is not wrong. It is right. It's biblical. It's in order. And you are called to it. And that's just not just my opinion. That's what the, the word teaches. And see, when you get a hold of something, it just or when it gets a hold of you, it just ruins you. In a good way, it just messes you up. It's like, well, I can't believe how everybody else is believing because I figured out what the Bible says. And people knock really hard on faith. And what they do is they see some fruitcake who claims to understand things about faith act like a fruitcake. And then they go, well, that's the fruit of faith. Uh, I don't want to have anything to do with it. And then they, then they knock it and they speak and say things and they know neither what they say or what they're believing or anything concerning different areas in particular faith. And you have people, you mean you, you can go online and you can, uh, and I don't agree with a lot of 
I won't say a lot of, but there are particular ministers out there that teach on faith, and I don't agree with some of the things that they, they do and some of the things that they uh, walk in and, and, and how they present it. But that's between them and the Lord, which is why I don't knock them. But, you know, you can go and look up faith ministers, and you can just Google them, and almost all of them, it's like the greatest heretic in the world, and it's like a uh, false prophet and false teacher and all of these kinds. And I think, my gosh, don't you have anything better to do than to make websites and a whole YouTube channel devoted to bashing somebody? Jesus didn't do that. You know, when you see people that are on a high horse to tear other people down, you can pretty much guarantee it's coming from hell. It's not coming from heaven. See, I'm not trying to defend me. I'm trying to defend faith. Faith is right. We're faith people. We're people of faith. And we need to be able to stand and continue moving forward. And listen, if people want to believe different, man, we'll honor them, we'll love them, we'll bless them. We're not trying to twist people's arm to believe like we want to believe or like God showed us. But we need to believe the word. And we need to stand strong on what God's shown us. Which leads me to this, that you can't take something especially like faith and just go, you know, I think I'm going to try that out. If you do that, it's not going to work for you. You need to have a, if I could use this word, conviction of what the Word says concerning believing God all on your own. You can listen to someone like me and be quickened and say, you know what, praise God, that's right. But then you need to go back to the Word and you need to find out whether these things be true or not all on your own. And so it's funny whenever people, I mean, I've had people call me, you know, even for years, it's been more lately in the last two or three years, but for years people have called me false this, false that and, you know, whatever, and they don't, they don't know, I don't have a clue what they're saying, and they'll, they'll say things like, oh, well, you're being unscriptural, and I want to say, have you ever listened to any of my messages? I, talk, I probably, on an average, I bet you I quote 20 verses every time I preach. How can you say I'm unscriptural? And I'll take verses, as I'm getting ready to do here in a moment, and I'll break them down line upon line, and half, half the time, I don't even have to break them down. You just read them, and so when knuckleheads do knuckleheaded things, sometimes you just need to go, bro, this is, the, this is the term of the younger, bro, have you read your Bible lately? You're telling me like, oh, you're into all that faith teaching, and it's just, I just want to say, have you read your Bible lately? Literally, have you read the book of Hebrews? Have you read uh, Romans? Have you read Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians? And have you read the teachings of Jesus? And have you read how Jesus operated uh, concerning signs, wonders, and miracles and demonic spirits and ministering to people and ministering to the... Have you read any of that stuff? Because I see faith woven all through, not just the New Testament and not just Jesus' ministry, but all through the entire Bible. In fact, Abraham is the example of faith for us. That's why he's called the father of faith. is because he had a promise that there was no natural reality to it, and he believed God, and because he believed God, it wasn't just this, oh, God sovereignly brought it about. No, God had a plan. He told Abraham what the plan was. He told Abraham the promise. He made the provision supernaturally, but Abraham had to believe God. That's what we call faith, and if Abraham had not been in faith, Abraham would not have received the promise. If that's not true, then why do we got all these faith verses about Abraham? They're there for us to learn from, to glean from, and to be able to apply the same truths that he walked in, that we apply those same things to our life. Amen. I'm just saying this bold, so you, I'm giving you some ammo for your own heart. 
Not ammo for other people. We don't need to worry about other people. Let them do what they're going to do. We remain in honor. We love people. But guard your heart. If you will guard the word in your heart, the word will guard you. But understand that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes to steal first. And so this is why when it comes to in specific about faith, you don't just need to be like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to try that, or I'm, you know, I, I think that's right. You need to have a conviction, a reality from your relationship with the Lord that tells you this is right, this is true, this is real, and I'm going to walk this way. And, you know, I haven't walked this out perfectly in my life. I'll be the first to tell you. I can tell you many, uh, many times that I failed, many times that I haven't seen come to pass what I know God wanted me to, but I can tell you a whole lot of things that we've seen happen. Just last night, we got a call. Can I share this? Is that okay? Okay. Uh, and now everyone's looking at you, but uh, we got a call from Nathan and Alicia, and, and Judah was uh, having some different uh, problems going on with his, with his stomach. And so uh, he went from normal to it was very scary. It sounded like on the other end, I wasn't there, but we were talking. And then within a matter of about 20, 30 minutes, probably, maybe a little bit longer, 30 minutes-ish, he was back totally to normal. We just released the word of the Lord and then just like that, it changed. When I say just like that, it was 30 minutes. Sometimes I'll see it in 30 seconds. But we believed God. And when we got off the phone, I was there with Liz and Katie, and I just said, you know, and, we, and this is normal. You just walk this way. You live this way. You live believing God for his best in every situation. And I said, you know, I said, I don't have anything in me that feels like any concern or anything. And uh, they decided, you know what, we're going to take him and have him checked out. By the time they got to the hospital, he was normal. And they said, well, we don't want to go into the emergency room. He's acting normal. They waited, and he was totally fine. And they went home, and everything's great. And I asked her this morning. He said, he's perfectly fine. He's, he's awesome. And, uh, you know, so that's, that's how you approach those things. You believe God, and you trust the Lord. And I just said, there's something in me. I said, I, I don't feel any concern or whatever. I think he's going to be just, he'll be just fine. And uh, we just stood on the word of the Lord and didn't allow our hearts to be moved. And praise God, we saw whatever it was that needed to change, it changed. So you can't always pinpoint what it is. Sometimes people just got issues, and, and you just speak to it, and then it changes. Hallelujah. God's word works. God's word works. His word is true. He's faithful to his word. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Some of y'all need, just need to grab a hold of that right now and just pull it in. I'm doing that two times a day now. I already did it once earlier. You need to grab a hold of it right now. And you need to pull it and put it in your heart. God's word works all the time. It never fails ever, never, 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 never fails. Hallelujah. And the more we walk with the Lord, the better we learn how to walk in his word. It's real simple. God's word is simple. People are complicated. You know, the Lord spoke to me one time and he explained it to me like this concerning ministry and pastoring. He said, and, and I was just thinking about how I had been in ministry for quite a few years, and I felt like, man, I feel like I'm still learning more. And I could say that today. I'm still learning, and I'm like, well, that didn't work, or we ought to do it better this way. Or, I mean, that's, that's just life. That's ministry. And you just learn things. Hopefully, if you keep pressing in and keep your heart tender, you learn things. And after a while, several years of doing that... <laughs> I was questioning or asking the Lord about it, like, Lord, what, you know, what's wrong with me? I feel like I don't, you know, I make mistakes and I don't have everything figured out and whatever. And uh, then he just took me to the analogy of, I forget if it was a heart surgeon or a brain surgeon. I think it was a brain surgeon. And uh, just recalling the conversation I was having with the Lord. And, and, and he said, you know, 
someone who's a brain surgeon, they start out going to, to pre-med, I think is what it is, and then they go to, they finish that, they go to medical school, and after that, they would go to a specialized schooling for their surgery, and then they do like a, probably some kind of internship, and they, they work underneath of more experienced doctors and things like that. It'd take a brain surgeon 12, 15 years, I don't know, something like that, to actually become a full certified, I don't know, I'm not in the medical field, so I don't know, to be there and be ready to fully do their job. And the Lord spoke to me, and he said, and he said, that's for brain surgery. He said, people and their souls are way more intricate than the physical brain. And when he said that, I was like, you know what, Lord? I know you know you're right, but I'm seeing you are right. <laughs> people are complicated. We are complicated. But the word is simple. And that's why I love the word. That's why I love faith. Because you can see something, and you can say, Lord, you wrote this down here for me. Personalize it to me, quicken it to me, and I'm just going to believe it. That cuts through all of the stuff of life when we can just do that. Hallelujah. So I'm going to talk to you about, oh, you, all, you all got some more steam in you? Good, because I got a lot in me, but uh, praise the Lord. So I want to talk to you a little bit about these levels of faith. And I had uh, some, one particular question come to me a, a few different times in a few different ways, and I'm going I'm to answer that question. And let me just say what the question is. Can you operate in multiple levels of faith at one time? And so I have a line drawn right here, and everything below this line is, and really these are all the types of faith, and these are just a way to phrase or define what those uh, levels or types of faith are, all right? And so everything below this line, which is passive faith, um, no faith, or disbelief, which is actually taking something and going the wrong, di wrong direction with it intentionally, um, you can't operate in those things and, and operate in what I would call like a positive faith. But all these things, like an active faith, which is going uh, forward, going in the right direction, or aggressive faith, which is like really in pursuit of something, or enduring faith, which is like a finishing faith, or a fully persuaded faith, which is a pure faith, you can operate in any of all of those at the same time. And so it's just different ways of looking at how you are corresponding or correlating with the word of the Lord. And so you could be, um, you know, you could have an active faith, which is like, yeah, I believe that, and begin to move in the right direction. That's where you start. An aggressive faith, the, to me, the best example is the woman with the issue of blood. She was aggressive. She pushed through the crowd. She wasn't going to give up until she got what it was that she knew she could get from the one that could give it to her. A lot of us need to really develop an aggressive faith. But, you know, you won't develop an aggressiveness towards something that you don't believe is is yours or already given to you. See, the faith begins, real true faith begins where the will of God is known. If you don't know what God's will is for something, then you won't, you'll be like, well, I don't, I don't know, hope it happens, but you won't be aggressive about it. When, you, when it becomes real to you, quickened to you, alive to you, that's when you begin to really be in pursuit of that thing. And unfortunately, this is what most people do, and I've been guilty of this plenty of times myself, but what most people do is they wait until their back is up against the wall before they really press into anything. Don't wait till cancer comes knocking to seek God about healing. Come on now. Don't wait. Don't wait until you're broke and in the gutter and have, have uh, nothing to offer and you know nothing to lose. Don't wait until that point before you seek the Lord on financial increase, how to steward your finances, those, those kind of things. Don't wait until that point. Get a hold of what the Word says now and continue to press forward with it. 
all of the promises are yes and in him, amen. You have to determine what's a, what is a promise. What is a, I'll say a, a provision, which is really what he's provided, but then at the same time, I look at a promise as something that is, I like actually provision better because promise can feel like a far off. I'm promised heaven one day, but I'm provided healing already in the atonement. It's, it's already there. It's available, fully ready for us to take faith and receive what God's grace has already provided. So I like the idea of provision. So you need to determine from the word in and of yourself, you and the Lord, not just yourself, but what the word says, you need to determine what is a provision for you. If he has provided it, then the question is, why are you not seeing it? Or why am I not seeing it? Why am I not seeing it manifest? Certain things require time, but then some things just require, I'll say time and faith, but then other things just require faith. It just requires you believe in the Lord. You know, you can't microwave your, your finances. I mean, you could receive a miracle and things turn around quickly, but it usually doesn't work like that. If your finances are in shambles, what you need to do is you need to trust God. You need to get in faith about it, but then you need to give it a little bit of time. And as you use wisdom and trust the Lord, God will turn that thing around. Liz and I are a living, walking testimony of it. We were two complete fools, didn't have any idea what we were doing. We repented, said, God, help us. And we're not millionaires or anything, but we, we're, we feel, I was thinking about this this morning, that we're, com- we're comfortable. Like we don't, we live with a full barrel, not an empty barrel. And you know, I can, you can give more when you got a full barrel than when you got an empty barrel. And here you have people that they're like, not prosperity stuff. It's like, you, you don't know the seed that I have and the seed that I sow. I talk about sowing seed and giving, and I let people in a little bit just as an example. But nobody in here beside Liz and I really knows the amount that we're able to give. I'm not saying that. To, man, people say it, and they're like, well, you have your reward, brother. No, I'm a pastor, and I'm pastoring you, okay? Some of you are, are pestered right now. No, I'm just kidding, but... But you can do more when you have more. It's common sense. So for anybody that would say, well, that, that provision of, you know, whatever, God might want some people to be poor. Yeah, the devil. That's the only person he wants to be poor. It's not people. He wants people to have loads of money. If he didn't, why in the world did he make heaven so wonderful? And if, you're, if we're wrong for wanting things, then you, sh- then you are wrong for wanting to go to heaven and have nice things there. You could live in a shanty in heaven if you want to. I'm going to have a nice big mansion. And Liz will cook wonderful meals for me all day long. It'll be, it'll be really great. <laughs> she may not, I know that that is her dream in heaven. Clean up, do laundry in my mansion. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, I'm getting off track and in trouble all at the same time. So praise the Lord, you can have different uh, levels or different types of faith and manifestation, but this is the one I want to talk about today for just a little bit here. I want to talk about a fully persuaded faith. Let's go to Romans chapter 4. Y'all getting something out of this? That's good. Anybody not getting anything? Anybody want their money back in here? I can, I can give you a full refund. Hallelujah. Uh, so Romans, actually, I can't do that. It's free and you just take it or not. Romans chapter 4. Let's go to Romans chapter 4, and we're going to go to verse 17. I'm going to do my best to to just read through this and not stop, because I want to get to verse 21, because that's where 
that's where the golden nugget is. Actually, let's start there, and then we'll go back to verse 17. That way I know I'll get there. So let's go to verse 21 of Romans chapter 4. And it says, and being, now this is speaking of Abraham. It says, and being fully convinced, or the King James says fully persuaded, but everybody say, and being fully persuaded. Now everybody say it, and being fully persuaded. Now say it like you mean it, and being fully persuaded. That what he, speaking of God, had promised, he was also able to perform. See, when you go back and you read the story of Abraham, there was a time, and when you only read in Romans chapter 4, you don't get the full story of Abraham. It's just given his, really his uh, fully persuaded faith part of his story. If you go back uh, before he saw the manifestation of Isaac come to pass, if you go back and look at it uh, before then, uh, he did waver. That's where uh, Hagar and Ishmael came in because he stopped trusting the Lord concerning the promise through coming through Sarah, who was beyond childbearing years. And he said, well, she's got a maidservant and uh, we could impregnate her and we could have a child come that way and we'll just take matters into our own hands. And he stopped trusting the Lord. So Abraham did waver, but there was a time when he got to a point to where he was fully persuaded and had a very pure faith that what God said is absolutely going to come to pass. And that is the type of faith that we are aiming for, to where when the Lord says something, whether it's a personal word to you, or it's just a provision in, not just, but a provision in the scriptures that becomes a personal word to you, the goal is, is that you get to a point to where there is no room for doubt or unbelief concerning that word. That no matter what comes against you, no matter what it looks like in the natural You can take the word of the Lord and say, I'm believing this, and I'm not going to believe anything else. Now, the deal is you can say that, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're at a place to where you have a pure faith. That's a good place to start. Don't catch me wrong. If the Lord says something and you're like, that's a word for me. You know, I did this one time. I found found a a lump on me. And... uh, I was, it was, we were getting ready to go to bed one night. We were living in Colorado. And I said, I'm just going to get up and go pray. I didn't even tell her. Uh, I didn't want to speak anything. I didn't want to say anything. I didn't want to have any, any deal with any fear or more than what was already trying to well up in me. And I went to the word and I just began to read. And I said, God, you're going to speak a word to me. And when you speak that word, I'm going to stand on it. And I will not, and I won't move off of that word. And so I read until I got to, um, oh my gosh, I forgot where it's at in Psalm now. Psalm, I want to say 55, but anyways, And it says, and it's just one thing, and it's not a scripture you would use necessarily for healing, but it's what the Lord made come alive to me. See, that's what makes the word powerful. It's not just reading it and going, oh, okay, I I agree with that, like intellectually, but to where it's a rhema, it's revelation to you personally. And I I got to this verse, and and it said, I will not permit the righteous to be moved. And when I, when I read that, it was just like the Holy Spirit just struck a chord on the inside of me. He rang my bell. And, um, and I said, Lord, what are you saying? And he said, are you righteous? I said, by the blood of Jesus, I am righteous. And he said, I will not permit this thing to move you. And I said, I'm coming into agreement with that. I prayed. I released that word over my own heart and life. Went to bed. I don't even remember when I told her. And you know, I didn't see the manifestation of that thing for a little bit. And I had a couple different people that I went to to pray with me uh, to see that thing uh, eliminated. 
And uh, I just, but I stayed on that word. I said, nope, this thing will not have me. It will not be an issue. I won't claim it as being any other thing than, than in that part of my body than just being totally healed. 100%. I got a word from the Lord that he will not permit the righteous to be moved. This thing will not move me. And lo and behold, I think I woke up one day, if I remember, and the thing was just totally gone, 100% gone. I had another time, and this was kind of funny, I was driving down the road, uh, coming back from St. Louis, I don't know, five, six years ago, seven years ago probably, and uh, I found a, uh, what, was the, what was the thing that would pop up? Some, we have, but it was a certain kind of cyst that will, a gangly cyst or something like that, and I was driving, and I was having perfect 210, you know, on the steering wheel, whatever, anyways, um, and, I, and I, I never noticed it, but when I was white knuckling it, I guess, or whatever, that thing popped up, and I could see it, and I thought, huh, and I said, in Jesus' name, and I began to rebuke it, and I'm like, you will not have me, and all the blah, 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 blah all this stuff, and, which is good, speak the word over it, amen, just, you got a sword, it's the word of the Lord, use it, and cut, cut bumps off you, if they don't, bumps don't belong, amen, and so, and then I told Liz about it, she's like, uh, she's like, it's a, it's a, a ganglia cyst or something, whatever. Anyways, some kind of medical, it wasn't assisting me, it was assisting me. And so she said, well, it'll go away in a couple weeks or a month or something on its, on its own. Something like, yeah, something like that. And I said, you know what? I don't want that. And you know what? In two days, that puppy was gone. Amen. Cause I don't, I'm not going to come into agreement with anything, anything, having anything against me or on me that doesn't belong. God designed our bodies to live in perfection. There's no, condemna- there's no condemnation at all. All of, us, all of us are still walking things out, hopefully, but the point is, is you keep walking. You keep moving forward. You don't get discouraged. You don't get disheartened. But you know, you can, people will hear me minister on things like, or anybody, on things like, you know, uh, healing or finances or whatever, and they'll be like, wow, what are them health and wealth preachers? Blah, 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 blah. It's like, well, actually, Jesus was a health and wealth preacher. People teach that Jesus was poor. It's a lie. It's a lie. <laughs> the wise men brought him money, oodles of money. I'm not going to get into all that. God provided for his son here on the earth. He was not poor. And in Jesus, everywhere he went, everywhere he went, he went about doing evil, healing all that were sick and oppressed by the devil. No, he went about doing good, healing all that were sick and oppressed by the devil. Why? For God was with him. See, once you know God's will concerning something, and this is, you'll have people, I interrupted myself, but when you have people be like, oh, those prosperity preachers and whatever, and they come down on, on, on teaching like this, and it's because they don't have a revelation about, first of all, God's love, but second of all, what God provided through the cross, through his atoning work because of his love. You can't believe that God would want you sick and really know that God loves you at the same time. When you know God loves you, you, when you really know God's love, I'll say when God's love gets a hold of you, when it really gets a hold of you, it becomes impossible for you to say, well, I think the Lord just wants me to have this thing. You, it, they, don't, they don't coincide together. It doesn't even make sense. 
And if that doesn't make sense to you, go get in the closet with the Lord and say, God, reveal your love to me. Make it so known to me that I can understand what he's saying. But it's really just as simple as just the love of a father. God doesn't want you and I to have stuff that don't belong to us. And like I was saying, he, he made our bodies. He made Adam and Eve in the garden to live in perfection. And then everything got interrupted through sin, but Jesus came back to restore everything. Literally everything that was stolen from us in the garden has been restored to us. What we don't need is for God to move. What we need is to have a revelation of how God has already moved through Christ. And when we are getting to a place to where we are fully persuaded, it's to where we believe the message of the cross and all of the provision through the cross and we don't have any doubt or any unbelief. So a, pure, a, a fully persuaded faith is a pure faith, which means it's not diluted. Because see, what happens is that whenever we're dealing with something, and we know God's provision says that it's ours, and we're dealing with it, and it's, it's happening in our body, it's happening in our life, it's whatever it is, what happens or can happen is that we can move forward with something, but at the same time, either the enemy... Or natural circumstances can come. And I heard it put like this one time, and I thought it was one of the best analogies, that unbelief works in opposition to faith. And so it, it dilutes it in the sense that, you know, you can, have a, you can have a wagon, and you can have a team of horses moving that wagon. Well, you know, if you hooked up another team of horses to the other side of the wagon, it would actually, and if it was the same amount of horses, I guess, it would pull, it, they would both be working but the net effect on the wagon would be nothing. And that's the way that faith works, is that you, know, you can have your, your provision that faith will receive it, will move it, will bring it to you, however you want to say it. But if you're dealing with unbelief, it's actually diluting your faith, and it's not a pure form of faith. Your faith is pure, but your heart has got other things going on. It's got, it's got some brokenness. It could have some discouragement. You could have some natural circumstances screaming at you. You know, when you look at a lump on your, on your hand, I mean, that thing was actually screaming at me. And that's why I believe sometimes you need to get violent with your words, violent with your emotions. You know, you can bring emotions into faith. That's sometimes why I get wild when I preach. Relatively wild or whatever, I guess, because I'm... <clears throat> Take your whole being... And make it move the very best you can. Make it move in the direction of the word of the Lord, the provision of the Lord, and see what happens. The enemy is violent to steal from you. You need to be violent to keep what God has already given you. You know that he can't steal something that uh, doesn't already belong to you? You have a word concerning healing. You have a word concerning finances. You have a word concerning great relationships. You have a word concerning uh, blessed family. You have a word concerning, I mean, you could fill in the blank from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and any blessing in the Old Covenant, even though we have a better covenant established on better promises, if it's not specifically listed in the New Covenant, you can go ahead and take all of the Old Covenant ones with it because Jesus came so that we could have all of the blessing in every sense of the word, in every area, in every way. You just got to get to a point to where you're so persuaded about that that you can't believe anything else. Let's go back a few verses and read a couple things here. You guys still with me? You're awesome. Look here in verse 17. It says, As it is written, so we're in Romans 4, 17, As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him 
whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Notice that calling, that's a speaking, that's a releasing of the word. And you're calling those things and when you're saying which do not exist, it's not that they don't exist in the spirit. It's not that they don't exist in the, in the sense that God is, hasn't provided, but you just don't have a natural manifestation of it yet. So you're calling those things as, uh, that don't exist as though they already do. This is talking about what Abraham did. Abraham changed his language. God changed his language. You guys have heard me say this before, but it's a powerful revelation. God changed his name from Abram to Abraham and every time Abraham said, I am Abraham, he was saying, I'm the father of many nations. When he had yet not one child and was even still several years off from having a child. He was saying, I'm the father of many nations. Think about that. We don't understand names in our, you know, it's um, Joe, um, Karen, um, Kent, um, Liz, whatever. We, it doesn't mean as much. Back then, names meant everything. And when, they, when he said, I am Abraham, or just Abraham, it meant father of many nations. He didn't even have a kid yet. But actually, he did. Because, see, the word of the Lord contains the seed to produce everything that he says belongs to us. Oh, my God. You know what we need is we just need the right incubator for the seed. We just need the right conditions for the seed. You already got the seed. You already got the word. You already got the, the provision has already been made. It's already there. What you and I need is a right heart, undiluted and pure, to put that seed in to allow it to come up and be, be the thing that it needs to be. Some of you, when it comes to healing, you haven't even planted this, you haven't even planted the seed of healing in your heart yet. See, when you plant a seed and you allow it to grow, it will come to a place to where it produces fruit, to where you and other people can eat from it when necessary. I can go and eat from the fruit of healing all the time. But sometimes I need to go back and, and, and do a little pruning and remind myself of the word of the Lord, those kind of things. Amen. Give it some water. But I've, I've been in that particular word enough that it's produced enough in me that whenever something hits me, I don't have to go, oh, God, what am I going to do? I know exactly what to do. I go to the Lord, and I say, Lord, I thank you that you've already provided. As a matter of fact, I'm going to reach up and receive what it is that's already been produced through faith and allowing that seed in my heart to be what it, what it is that it's supposed to be. Does that make sense? I know we're not a bunch of farmers in here, but everybody understands things growing, and you can't put a seed in something in bad soil and expect it to produce something you got to guard the soil of your heart. Guard your heart with the word, and eventually that word will spring up into something mighty and will give you the protection, the deliverance, whatever it is that you need. See, what you don't need, and this is something that the church needs to stray away from, and what we don't need is you don't need the healing guy to come in town to get healed. And I'm not against that. That's why I have people that come in like Ashley and Carly. Man, we've seen, I think we've probably seen more people healed when they were here than probably any other meeting. And I love that. I am thankful for that. I'm looking at Mary Ann over here to receive tremendous healing when they were here. It was awesome. Several of you did. I thank God for that. But you know, you don't need Ashley and Carly to come in for you to be healed. You don't need me to lay hands on you for you to be healed. You know what you need? You need the word of the Lord. Plant it in your heart. And then whenever you need something, then you reach up and grab it. You say, Lord, this, this belongs to me. I know what your word says. I planted it in my heart, and I've given it room to grow. 
And now it's not just an idea, but it's actually a seed on the inside of me that has grown and produced, and I'm coming into agreement with it. So that way, when, when stuff comes knocking on your door, you don't freak out. Whenever we went through the, the 2008, is, you know, I remember October 2008 is when it's, in my mind, where things started to really go downhill financially in the economy. And I, just to be totally honest with you, I was not at a place where I was stable financially. We were still acting like knuckleheads in our finances, mostly me. It really was mostly me. Um, and so I was not stable financially. In, in reality, I was not stable. But also in my heart, I was not stable. Well, you know, we've, we're looking at things now, and we keep saying it, but eventually some stuff's going to hit the fan in our, in our, in our um, society and in our country with finances and in the world. Like, it can't sustain like it, it can't sustain like it is. I mean, if Jesus returns, and maybe who knows, whatever, I don't know. But if he doesn't return soon, then there's going to be a huge downturn. You know that I have absolutely, positively zero doubt or concern or fear in my heart that I'll be taken care of. Now, 2008, I did. But now, I have none. I have none. And what's interesting is that everything that we, that we come in to take care of us personally comes from people giving into the church who work jobs and and give and bless the church, and Liz and I are able to partake of that. And yet, I'm not, I'm not concerned one iota. And you know what? For people that are attached to this church, you will be blessed just because I'm in faith. It's good to be under a good covering. I'll just say that. Hallelujah. So praise God. I didn't finish reading this. Verse 18, it says, Who contrary to hope and a hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old. Think about that. He didn't consider his own body, which was already dead, or the deadness of Sarah's womb. He didn't consider either one of those things. You know what it means to consider? It means to ponder, to think upon, to reflect, to imagine he didn't, he didn't take any of that into consideration, the fact that in the natural, it was completely impossible. You know what our goal should be in our home, in our heart, in our business, in church, everywhere we go? Our goal should be that we have such an atmosphere of faith that we can believe and people around us can believe that anything can happen. And when I mean anything, I mean anything. And the, and the, well, what ifs and what about this and that happened? That's all from the enemy. The Lord just wants us to be at a place where we just, like a child, we just simply believe. There's no room for unbelief. There's no room for doubt. There's no room for fear. Man, that's awesome. And the next verse says, and he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. He didn't waver. He, he had a promise. Now, he did at the first part, but then he finally got into pure faith, a fully persuaded faith, a, a fully convinced or fully persuaded faith. It was pure. There was, there was nothing diluting his faith. He simply believed God, and then it came to pass. What we don't need to do is build up bigger faith. We just need to have a pure faith. Jesus said that faith the size of a grain of mustard seed is enough to move a mountain. The size of faith isn't the issue. It's the purity of the soil for that seed of faith that's in your heart. That's the issue. Because if you go to Mark chapter 4, he talks about the seed being the word 
And that's all you need is a word from the Lord. But you got to take that word and put it in that seed, put it in proper soil to produce what it is that that seed has the potential to produce in it. And he gives all these different kinds of, of a ground that that seed can fall on, and it's the condition of people's hearts. And most of it's, if you go through and read there, it's really not, it's not talking about, oh, people were haters, they were God haters. In fact, none of it's talking about that. It's talking about you took the word, the first type of ground is you didn't receive it. That, might, that could, could be a God hater, but you, the word fell on a hardened heart and the enemy came immediately and stole the word. He's always after stealing the word because if he can steal the word, he'll steal your provision from you. That's, right, that's rightfully yours. That seed is yours. And then the next type is like, is like the this, this stony ground, so it didn't have much depth. But, you know, you think about that, and, and that type of heart, it's kind of like, yes, God, I see that, and I want to receive it. But the problem is there's so much other stuff in there that they put the, the, the seed in that soil, and they're like, I believe it, I believe it. And it says that when the sun comes up, immediately it's, it's scorched and withers away because it ha- they have no root in themselves. And so like when you've got that kind of heart condition going on, the word of the Lord that has all the power, all the life, all the resurrection, all the healing, all the provision, all the everything that you need, it can't develop roots because there's too much other contaminants. There's stuff inside the soil that's not allowing that seed to really take root like it needs to. And then the next type of soil it talks about, you know, that you can have this all found in Mark chapter 4. The next type of soil is that, you know, you'll have it to where um, it's really a pretty good soil overall, and it takes root and it springs up, but then all of a sudden the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things come in, and it's like whenever you got a, a crop springing up or a flower springing up or something, and then you'll have other things that will come in and just choke the life, and they'll suck all the nutrients out of the soil and, you know, take the water or whatever it is that's coming to, to produce life from that seed and what's growing. That's what that looks like. Anybody ever been there before? You're like, God, I got this. It's going. It's me. It's you. It's right. It's real. I'm with it. And you, you press into that. You see some things spring up, and then all of a sudden, you get busy. All of a sudden, you get distracted. All of a sudden, you have other things that come in, and they mess up the soil of your heart. And what once was a very pure, undefiled word to you inside of your heart is now in there, but it's got all the stuff all this other stuff in there that doesn't belong, that's working in opposition to that seed, to that fruit, to that tree, to that whatever, producing the life that God designed it to produce. Let's get rid of that stuff. Hallelujah. And allow the seed of the word of the Lord to produce what it's supposed to. We don't have to strain for the word. If people are like, you know, sometimes it used to be there was, um, you know, some weird faith teaching could have been like, you know, you got to confess it a thousand times. I don't know anybody that said that kind of stuff, but some people will do goofy things like that. You got to confess it 500 times or 100 times or a thousand times. Well, no, actually, all you really got to do is take the word in faith, confess it one time, and it's a done deal. If you need for your own heart's sake to confess it a thousand times, that's fine, but it's not changed in God's mind, and it doesn't add any more power to the seed. The issue are the things inside of us that keep that seed from producing what it needs to produce. Some of y'all need to take this for your home. You want, the, you want the results of the Word of God in your home, but you allow contaminants inside of your home that don't belong. I'll just leave that there. I meant that was for the people on the live stream. It's not you guys. It's you guys on the live stream, okay? I'm just having a little bit of fun with you. Let's go, and I want to finish with these two verses here, these two passages quickly. Matthew chapter 7. Y'all getting something out of this? 
Man, I'm getting something out of this. This is awesome. The word's so good. Matthew chapter, uh, excuse me, 17, not 7. Matthew 17. Matthew chapter 17. I love this story. We're going to look at it from two different places because it gives um, a, a little bit of a different insight from both accounts, both Matthew and Mark. So we're going to go to Matthew 17. Then we're going to go to Mark 9. But Matthew chapter 17, and we're going to start at verse 14. It says, and when they had come Come to the, to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? I always say this anytime I read this, but I just love how Jesus responded here. He didn't say, guys, it's okay. You did your best. Now, if you, if you prayed you know, and you didn't get the result. And then someone came to me and said, you know, your prayer minister, your person in your church prayed and they didn't get a result. I got to be honest with you, I wouldn't rebuke you. But Jesus did rebuke them. He said, you're faithless and perverse generation. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus, these were his disciples he was speaking to. And Jesus rebuked the demon out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Now, the fact that Jesus did rebuke him means that they had some kind of an expectancy that something would happen. But Jesus definitely had an expectancy on them that they should get results. If not, he would have been unjust for rebuking them. It says, then the disciples came to Jesus privately. They, they had enough embarrassment already. <laughs> they came privately. Uh, said, uh, Lord... Uh, why could we not cast it out? Now, here is what I want to get to. He says, because of your unbelief. He didn't say because you didn't have faith. Now, he did call them a faithless and perverse generation, but I just kind of look at that like you didn't have any faith in operation or you're acting faithless. I don't know. Uh, but my understanding about faith leads me to believe that their issue wasn't that they didn't have faith. Otherwise, they wouldn't have prayed for him to begin with. You don't go and pray for people with some kind of expectation unless you have faith in operation. So the issue isn't, isn't faith. The issue is unbelief. It's the contaminants that come in that dilute the pure faith in the Word of God that bring about the manifestation. It says, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here, uh, here to there, and it, will, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. And I've heard different, you know, sayings and teachings and songs over the years of, oh, we just need faith the size of a mustard seed. You, you got more faith than the size of a mustard seed. Jesus, he wasn't saying that your faith, their faith size was the problem. He was saying, actually, you don't need a lot of faith. What you need is less unbelief, just like Abraham. Just like Abraham, after he went through all of the flesh stuff, trying to make it produce on his own. When he got to that point, that's the kind of faith you need. To where it's undiluted, it's pure, you're fully persuaded with every ounce in you that what God said is absolutely the truth. That's the kind of faith that you need. It's not diluted by any kind of fear or unbelief or anything. And he says that if you do this, nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. There's lots of debate as to what he's talking about this kind. Most people just, just assume... And it, and it seems to speak to that, that it's talking about the, this particular type of demonic spirit doesn't come out except by prayer and fasting. Well, here's the deal, is that if a demonic spirit doesn't come out of somebody through using the name of Jesus, your prayer and fasting ain't going to move it. 
So what's he really saying here? I believe that it's one of two things, but it's kind of the same. Either he's saying this type of unbelief doesn't come out except by prayer and fasting, or he's saying this type of demon that brings about physical manifestation to you and fills your heart with natural reality to where you're more moved by natural things than you are by the Spirit, that this kind of demon that does that, you can't deal with it unless you've been doing prayer and fasting. And here's the deal about prayer and fasting. Very quickly, prayer and fasting doesn't move God. It moves you. When you fast, in particular, when you fast, you tell your body, no. I am in charge here. And if you've ever, and Liz is like a master faster. (laughs) Just ask her pastor. (laughs) Uh, So anyways... Uh, I am not, though, okay? And I, I do fast-ish. Uh, no, I do. I do. I'm just not. Uh, it's an area I'm growing in. Amen? Um, but by the time you get to noon on the first day, maybe you're better than that, but by the second day or the third day or something, you know, it's like your body is screaming at you. Well, when you can go to fasting and you fully take control of your flesh, natural, natural things, and you tell it, no, 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 I'm not going to obey you. You are going to obey me. Uh, Liz got this from Miles Monroe. It's so uh, it's not, it, it actually, I don't like it because it's true. That when you're eating, no, I do like truth, but when you're eating, you're not actually hungry, you're habiting. It's just a habit. You know, we just get into that. And that's why fasting can break off just us giving into our flesh all the time. That's what fasting does, is it, is it puts you in charge of your flesh instead of your flesh being in charge of you. If you've ever seen somebody who's epileptic or has seizures like that, if, if your heart is not settled on truth and you're moved by the flesh, that will mess you up. Because somebody who falls over and has violent seizures like that, uh, it speaks a lot in the natural. You can see a lot in the natural. And if you are not more fixed on what God says and on the word of the Lord and you're being moved by that, then you're going to have a hard time dealing with, with things like this. And so what I believe that Jesus was saying, and the greater principle here, is that this kind of unbelief, unbelief that would be produced by natural circumstances, you, you have to have prayer and fasting to deal with it. Prayer brings you into the spiritual realm. Fasting causes you to, to overcome things in the natural. Amen. So now that everyone feels like they need to go and pray and fast, it's an answer. It's an answer as to why we don't see things like we need to. We don't need, a, we don't need greater, greater faith, measure of faith. We just need a pure faith like Abraham had, fully persuaded in what the Lord said. Let me give you one more verse. Matthew, excuse me, Mark chapter 9, same instance, but he throws out a couple of other things in here. Mark puts a couple other things in here that are, that are good. Mark chapter 9. And we're going to go to verse 18. Can you all hang with me for 30 more seconds? That's a pretty low number right there, folks. Normally, it's like five more minutes, and then it's 10. So it's probably three minutes for real. Mark chapter 9, verse 18. You know, I don't think think that people don't want to listen. You're here because you want to listen. But I just like to break it up a little bit because, you know, you can listen to the most exciting person in the world and fall asleep if you're not careful. I know because... Some of you listen to me every week. 
Okay. I was just saying I was the most exciting person in the world, but y'all missed it. Okay. Mark, listen, you'd be so proud of me. I have one of my New Year's resolutions, if you want to call it that, is to drink apple cider vinegar. And I've done it two days in a row. So, okay. So, ugh. Mark 9, 18. Now, this is the same story, and wherever it seizes him, which is pretty much how I feel when I drink apple cider vinegar. But anyways, I'm only kidding. But this is the same story, but just cutting right into it. It says, and wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought uh, him to him, so the boy to Jesus. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed and fell on the ground and allowed and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? This is a really important question. Because when you're dealing with people who are, are dealing with symptoms um, of things or, or they're dealing with sickness and they've been dealing with it a long time, undoubtedly that thing has been speaking to them all of those years. I'm bigger, I'm greater, I'm stronger, when really truly the word of the Lord is stronger. The authority we have in Christ is greater and Jesus proved it. And he said, from childhood, so the boy probably was maybe, maybe older, maybe in his teens, we don't know, but a little bit older. And often... He has thrown him both into fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes, which totally annihilates all of the, well, if God wants it to happen, it will happen. And if it, he doesn't want it to happen, it won't happen. That verse right there throws that completely out. He's Jesus. God manifests in the flesh, says, if you can believe. All things are possible to him that believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. So he was saying, I'm in agreement that this can happen, but I'm struggling at the moment. And I think if you could read between the lines, he was probably saying, well, Jesus, you already know that I've been dealing with this for a long time, so I'm battling here. But I also know that there's possibility that this, that this situation can change. Help me to just believe and not have unbelief. That's what we're after. A very pure form of faith. Undiluted. You don't need to build your faith bigger. You just need to believe. Simply, purely, just believe. Amen. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit ociperryville.com